1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we read from verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6 to 25. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make uh, make sounds, such as the flute or harp, How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray in my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. And the law is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and he will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. May the Lord add his blessing and understanding to his reading, the reading of his word. 
Today, I will continue with uh, our series on the gifts of the Spirit, and I once again do not assume that you have a problem with this, but if uh, we can help to edify and uh, equip you for an answer to those who are of different opinion than the Scriptures, so that you will be able to do so. And after this, uh, only two more sermons on this, but they will come under the title, The Gifts of the Holy Spirit, and both of these sermons will come from the Old Testament. Both these sermons will come from the Old Testament. So uh, I trust and I hope that God will give us understanding and grace this morning. When you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you cannot help but to think that the apostle is uh, talking about a me and a you situation here. He said, I talk and you talk. You use the language and I use the language. And, and he, he's almost distancing himself from, from the way in which those in Corinth uh, use this uh, gift of the speaking in tongues. He uses the same words, but when he refers to his speaking in tongues, uh, it is different from the way in which the Corinthian church would use their speaking in tongues. The difference between them speaking in tongues and him speaking in tongues lies in this word meaning and profit. He says, when you speak, it has to have meaning because if it does not have meaning, you would gain nothing from it. Gain that word profit. Our Lord Jesus used this word when he says, what profit is it to man that he gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul? That's the same word that the apostle uses here. Because the Corinthians argued that their speaking in tongues is conversation with God, as we found that in chapter 14, verse 2, they said, well, we speak to God and we don't need understandable language because God will understand what we're talking. And uh, they then said, now that is prayer with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, yes, it, we need to pray in the Spirit. As a matter of fact, you cannot pray out of the Spirit or without the Spirit. That's just not possible. But he says... The words we use need to be words with understanding. He says, I pray with my mind too. I'm not just being carried away by my emotion or by my spirit. Because if I don't do this, it won't be of any edification or building up or benefit of the rest of the church. One of two things then is needed if this happens. An interpreter to give what is not understandable meaning or nothing should happen at all. And that is that nothing should, no one should say a thing. Either you speak and someone else is there to say what you speak is true or sit down and, can I use the word, and shut up. 
Paul argues that tongues, as the Christians practice it, is not a great gift. Because it is an incomplete gift. If it's a complete gift, it would be good in itself. But it's incomplete because it needs more to make the gift useful. And therefore the Apostle Paul argues that the speaking in tongues is not a good gift. It is not an excellent gift. And he said to them, strive to those things that are excellent. Strive to those things that can build up the church. There's no point that you speak in tongues and no one understands what you're talking about. You have to have meaning in what you say. Therefore, he uses these three examples that I used this morning with the children's address too. And we can understand why he says that because if we look at that in different ways. Tongues, for some, is a sort of gibberish utterance of sounds made up as a tongue. It usually happens in an environment of an ecstatic experience. It needs interpretation by someone who would give it meaning to those present as a validation of the message. When I went on in Afrikaans, and when uh, you heard it also in, in, in Mandarin, it didn't make much sense to you, did it? But we, we had someone there to say, well, that is the truth. What was said there is the truth. And therefore you rest in it. It's a good thing that there's an, there's an English translation for it too, so we can understand that. Language is a wonderful gift of God. It is, it is one of those gifts that we have to cherish like anything else, more than anything else. You know, I, I've been working with elderly people who have, in the stages of dementia and, and, and uh, Alzheimer's and all these things, they might not remember your face. They might not remember where they're from. They do not remember where other people are from. They don't know where they are. It's, it's, it's just, it is just amazing that, a man, that the, the, the capacities of the brain can be lost. But one thing that is not lost in this whole process is language. I find that absolutely amazing. I sat down how many times with, with someone who'd been an elder in the church and through dementia and through all these things, he would introduce himself a hundred times in half an hour to me. It becomes a bit annoying if you don't understand where it comes from. He would introduce, keep, oh, who are you? And he'd say, I'm so and so. But then we go into the Bible and I give him a piece of the Bible to read. And you know what? He reads every word in the Bible and he understands what he reads. That's amazing. And we sing hymns, and he sings hymns along. And then sometimes I, I, I would present a hymn from our hymn book, which the words are different from the words that he grew up with. And he'd sing that along, and you know what? He reads our words, and he sings his words, and afterwards he says to me, sorry, I've sung the wrong words. And then he says, hello, who are you? And I'm so-and-so. Language is a wonderful thing. We should cherish that. And that's the way in which God speaks to us. And if we use language meaning nothing, then we abuse the language. Some then, tongues could be this gibberish thing that no one knows what you're talking about. Or tongues are known languages. That's another interpretation. But they were foreign to the hearers, like 
Mandarin and, and another language. It, need, it needs interpretation. Then it could also mean that tongues are a known language spoken by someone who does not know the meaning of it. Some say it can happen that when, it, when, it's, when it's so that I have to talk to someone, the Lord puts it on my heart to talk to someone that I might even be given the gift of speaking a language that I am not able to understand at that moment. I know there are examples of that happening, and, and it's, it's true. It does not happen every moment, but it does happen. Or that might be that I speak in my own language and someone hears it in his, own lang- his, his language. That is also possible. But point is, if what is said is not understood or what is said does not have meaning, we'll look at one another and say, what are you on about? You're wasting your time and you're wasting my time. Paul refers to understandable language that brings across a message. The point is understanding and the point is building people up in their faith. Paul then examines the way the Corinthians practiced this gift. They were so, there was no understanding and there was no edification because there was no interpretation, which means it had no meaning. And he said to them, that is not a good gift. Don't think that you now have a special gift. You've got a gift that's incomplete. And if I can give you advice, he says, Don't use it. That's what he says. As a matter of fact, if you look further down the track, he says, uh, grow up. Stop. Think like children. Verse 20. So music means something. If I can say, well, if... uh, Faye would play to us, uh, let's say, the old hundredth. And she plays the old hundredth indeed, with notes going up and down. We'll know that that is the tune. But if she says, I'm going to play to you the old hundredth, and she just uh, give us a hundred notes on the same frequency every time, we'd say, sorry, Faye, you've missed it. We don't find a tune in that. That's what modern artists do. They give you one stroke with a pen or whatever, and they say, what I see is that, and I think to myself, hmm, you see that, but sorry, to me it's just a stroke of the pen. Soldiers were given instruction to respond by a certain sound to be ready for, bat- for battle. That's what he says about the bugle there. It means something when you get that. Communication in general means something if the language means, the words mean something. And he says that and he applies that to the church. To pray in a tongue exclude understanding and is therefore unfruitful. And the solution is pray with the spirit, in the spirit, with understanding. 
and a commentator said it involved not only the feeling aspects of a person but his mental faculties as well. If the believer, he says, speaks in a tongue, his spirit or his inner person may share in the experience, but his mind is not part of that experience. It is not wrong to pray using and say, I pray in the spirit, but it's better to include the mind and understand what you're praying and singing. It applies to the singing of the church. When uh, it happened there that you can see there in verse uh, 16, if you are praising God with your spirit, how can one find himself among those who do not understand? Say, Amen. What does Amen mean? You say, yeah, well, I agree with that. That's the truth. That's what it means. Now, that's what happened in the Corinthian church, and sometimes it should happen in the Presbyterian churches too. We're not used to that. When you go to some charismatic churches, people would say, Amen. You know? Uh, when it's true, they say amen. As uh, Dr. Harry Reader once said, he said, you go to, uh, to the Pentecostal churches, and when people agree with that, they jump up and they say hallelujah. You go to, let's say, uh, some moderate Baptist churches, and they'd say amen. And you go to Presbyterian churches, and when you say something that's really useful and truthful, you'd, the best you'll get out of Presbyterians is this. Now, the point is, you say amen because you understood it. Isn't that true? You understood it. He says, what's the point in you speaking on languages that no one understands and people want to agree with that, but they don't know what they're agreeing with? What's the point? So he comes to this conclusion. He said, speak in a tongue which you and the hearer can understand. The point is always understanding. And the point is always the building up of the church. Without mutual understanding between speaker and hearer, such communication is to speak in the air. And as a matter of fact, he refers, you can refer back to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he says this. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not Love, I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. So it's meaningless to have this gift that you chase after that no one understands. It is only edifying oneself, if so, but not the church as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. On top of this, they then in, in Corinthians pursued this gift but did not even have love. Paul now applies that to his own ministry. I thank my God, he says, that I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. What does he mean by that? Does he say, I wish you would speak in tongues like I do? That might be the case, but don't forget the second half. He said, do as I do too. Speak with your mind five words that others can understand. It's far better. It is far better. 
Five words with understanding aimed at the teaching and the edification of others is more of more value than speaking a thousand words in a tongue. Why is it that people then in our day make such a, f- a big thing of something that means nothing? I, I just can't work it out. What does he mean by the statement in verse 18 where he says this? I thank God that I speak in tongues more than uh, all of you. Maybe he also encouraged the people to pray more in private. Because he says, if I speak in a tongue, I do that in private before the Lord. Maybe he says, I wish you prayed more in private. But he could also refer to the fact that he proclaimed the gospel to many people of different languages all over the world, in different parts of the Roman world and beyond. And he wished that they would concentrate their spiritual efforts on spreading the word of God to a lost world with the aim of building up and and the spiritual growth of the body of the Lord. In order to accomplish that, that they would start growing up spiritually beyond the stage of being children in understanding. That's why he says to them, stop thinking like children. Don't use, ever use verse 18 to think that the apostle says, I, I, I wish you speak in tongues like I do. He says, oh, I wish you would grow up in your faith and that you would have a word of meaning and edification for the church of God. Well, he said, well, if you need to speak in tongues not understandable to your hearers, there must be an interpreter. We had it this morning, a practical application of that. Let's say there is someone who visits me from South Africa. And he says, can I preach in your pulpit in the morning? And I, says, I, I say, it's a good thing. It would be of no use unless I would interpret along. But if he walks into this church and he says, I speak Mandarin, I have no knowledge of no other language, can I preach today? What would you say? It would not be of meaning to us. We're sorry. We know that what you say might have a lot of meaning, but we don't understand that. Speaking in tongues as Paul understands it within the context of public worship and has manifested itself on the day of Pentecost is speaking in known languages. I don't think that the understanding of the Corinthian church of speaking in an unknown language is the same as what the apostle understands by speaking in tongues. He says, I speak in tongues. What tongues? I go and I see people who do not speak my language. They Greek They are of different nations, and I go there and I speak to them, and they have to it has to have a a a understanding. So, can I just tell you this experience that someone had in in South Africa, a minister who preached to a church in the Tswana language, and he had an interpreter because the Bible says you have to have an interpreter. And uh, so he preached about the, the, the prodigal son and how he then went away from his father and he, uh, 
he lost everything and he came back to his father. Now the, the thing is this, what you say, you say sentence and the other person says the other sentence. You say sentence and he says sentence. So the minister was preaching along and he got to the point where the, the young man got home and how he was welcomed back by his father and that was the end of his sermon. And then the interpreter just went on and on and on, you know. On and on. And afterwards, the uh, missionary asked him, he said, how is it that you had so much to say after I was finished with my sermon? He said, I said, look, <clears throat> you were, the, in your sermon, the lost son was home long before I got there. He said, because you didn't really make his sin very well. He said, I was still in that sinful world when you were home. He said, he just thought so, he, he need to elaborate on that. Now, <clears throat> the first thing, chasing after tongues is a gift in itself and for itself instead of being for the benefit of all members of the church is childish and it speaks of Christian immaturity. Otherwise, that verse would not have been there. Verse, uh, this, the, the other thing is, Tongues are a gift for unbelievers. Now, admit, I have to admit that, that to understand that the verse within the context is not easy. But when Paul then says, uh, <clears throat> verse 22, tongues then are signed for, not for believers but for unbelievers, he probably means this because it's within the context of the gift of the Holy Spirit to his church. When the Spirit was poured out, on the day of Pentecost, there were people from all over the world there. Although the Jewish people, the disciples of the Lord, spoke in their language, it was heard in another language. It is as if the Lord gave the church the sign and the affirmation there that from now on, the gospel is not only meant for the Jewish people, the gospel is now for all the world. So the gift of that speaking in tongues on that day of Pentecost was a sign for the unbelievers that now to them the gospel would come. So Paul argues this. He said, when you're together in a church, you don't have people of all different sort of backgrounds coming from all different sound. Uh, 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 languages you've got God's people with you the sign was given for those who are still to come into the church and then he basically says this go out into places where you would be used of God to proclaim the gospel to those who still don't understand it's a sign for the unbelievers that God will extend his grace and his mercy to them. It is not something that should be practiced within the church as if that is the most beautiful and the most perfect gift of them all. Prophecy, on the other hand, and prophecy we understand as the proclaiming of the word of God, that's for the church. That's for the church family to build them up. In their faith. 
Just another thing, and we have not read through the whole chapter. I want you to just look at that. Speaking in tongues is not in an, in an uncontrolled urge that comes about someone which he cannot control. Paul speaks for the sake of orderly worship, worship and he says in verse 27, If anyone speak in a tongue, let there only be two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. What does he mean by that? It is not that he says, okay, now go ahead and do that. He's already established the fact that they are childish, that they immature, and all these things he said. In all pastoral concern, he said, if, if, if you really need to do that, if you really think that that is for you, in your immaturity still, one or two at a, most, and then one at a time. I've been in churches where people would just jump up and babble along, and they said, the Spirit came upon me, and I couldn't help it. Paul would not say to the church, one or two, and then in turns, if it cannot be controlled. And then, of course, he contrasts this to, in this, in this context, he says, all prophesying, which means all telling the word of God, one or two, speaking in tongues. Can you see the importance of all and only one or two? Then he says there in verse, <clears throat> verse 32, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So there's no, this thing that you say, or that some people say, well, the spirit came upon me and in an ecstatic moment I had no control over it. It just happened. The Bible says, God says in his word, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That is something that you can control. As a matter of fact, the Spirit of God is a spirit of order and peace. And therefore, the gift of the Spirit, amongst all the other things, that the gift of the Spirit is love and patience and all these things, what is it? Self-control. Now, the last thing, the gift, speaking in gifts, is uh, therefore not something that we should glorify. We should actually, in a way that the apostle did it, we should limit it. We should not encourage it. It should be discouraged. Because of prophecy, the proclamation of the word of God can be understood, it can be Weighed or tested. That's what it says there in the Bible there. Verse 29. It can be weighed or tested or discerned. Is this the truth? Is it correctly proclaimed? Is it really God's word? Speaking in tongues on the other hand would leave me in the dark. I would not know. Therefore, the gospel should become a discerning, understanding words so that you can weigh it up in the light of the rest of the scriptures and be built up in your faith. Therefore, I have to conclude and say Paul implies that tongues, as the, Christ, as the uh, Corinthians practiced it, could not be understood 
and it could not be discerned, and if there's no discernment, it is of no value. I hope and I trust that what was said in the last few sermons about the gifts of the Spirit would edify you and equip you to uh, help others who might glorify a gift that's only half a gift, incomplete. Next time, Lord willing, we'll go to the Old Testament and see how the Spirit of God used the gifts and the talents of people there for the glory of God. Let us pray. Our, our, our Lord and our Father, we thank you for the time of worship and for the time of teaching. We thank you that we could read from the Bible. And Lord, <clears throat> we always pray that you will withhold our minds from reading into the scriptures what we would want to find there, but that you will give us an understanding through your spirit of what it really says. And so, Lord, even in today, we pray that everyone here will weigh up what was said against the testimony of the scriptures and that the edification of your church as they are built up and each one according to what you have called them will continue for your glory and that we will become mature as a church in Jesus Christ. We pray this for his glory. Amen.